when you touch yourself. You do touch yourself. When you are alone, you can touch yourself. Anywhere in your body, anywhere that gives you pleasure, but especially between your legs. And when you find a feeling you particularly enjoy, you can carry on with that until the feeling grows and eventually you reach a pinnacle, a release. That should help you. Hello, welcome to Killer Casting. I'm Lisa Zambetti. I am a casting director probably best known for my work on the long-running show Criminal Minds, and I've cast victims and villains and cops and doctors and lawyers and everything in between. But apropos of today's topic, I've also cast many actors to play lovers, to play roles in adult situations, and I've even cast those very, very difficult roles where characters engage in sexual violence and and who are sometimes the victims of sexual abuse. So given that, I wanted to give a little trigger warning. I wanted to warn our listeners today that, you know, we're going to be talking about sex, sex in cinema, sex on screen. We're going to be using very explicit language, possibly talking about things that could be triggering to you. And I want you to take very good care of yourselves and know your boundaries because this is going to be a great conversation, but probably a very frank conversation. And I have a very special guest. I cannot wait for you to meet, but I want you to please exercise care if you need to. Okay. So with that said, let me just say hi to my ever loyal sexy beast, Brian Allen Hill. How are you today? Doing great. How is everybody out there? <laughs> and Dean laughing, the wonder from down under. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm very well. Thank you. Good to see you again, Lisa and Brian. So I- I'm hoping that I get to make Brian and Dean blush today. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so let me just t- let me just lay it out there, y'all. I am a very sexy positive person uh, when it comes to sex on screen. I'm not just talking about, you know, adult erotica, um, but sex in TV shows and cinema. And, and, you know, whether it's a consummation of like, you know, the will they, won't they get together, slow burning passion between the leads with this delicious animosity and chemistry um, that leads to sex, or, you know, more importantly, sex that is about a very specific and difficult context, you know, sex that's born of grief, you know, of pain, of secrets and lies and and, and sex that moves the story forward or just deepens your understanding of the character, you know, whatever the sex is between consenting adults on screen, no matter the sexual identity, orientation, and no matter if they have classically beautiful bodies and fantastic faces, or if they, you know, look like me, Uh, does the average everyday person grinding it out I'm here for it. I am absolutely here for it. And some people may say, oh, sex scenes are gratuitous and some people issue nudity and that's fine. But indulgence means different things to different people. And for me, done right, sex is a very powerful and necessary thing. But 
those performances of simulated sex come at a price. And it's the actors on screen, they pay that price. And in the past, you know, some, sometimes sex scenes are highly choreographed. And m- a lot of times they're, you know, it's a lot of illusion, camera trickery. Maybe people aren't totally nude. Maybe they are. You know, the fact of the matter is these scenes make those performers very vulnerable. And in the past, in the very sad past of our the industry in Hollywood and and abroad, it's easy for that trust to be broken. It's easy for lines to be crossed and boundaries to be forgotten. But I have here today a very special guest who's going to talk us through something new that has come into our industry that is so needed. I can't even believe that we never had it before. I want to introduce to you a immensely successful casting director. She is cast some of the most important movies of my childhood and my pre-menstrual sexual tweenhood. She was on the casting team for E.T., Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, St. Elmo's Fire, Pretty in Pink, Mean Girls. I could go on and on, but I'm not going to because she in the last few years has become an intimacy coordinator. Please say hello to my queen, Marcy Liroff. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Oh, Marcy, thank you for jumping on. And I know um, you're on the East Coast right now and you are, instead of casting this show, you are the intimacy coordinator for this show. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the show, what you can tell us? Uh, Sure. I'm working on a series called High Town and it's in its second season and we're in Wilmington, North Carolina on location. We've been here since October. And it's a, a very dark and thrilling show, and it centers around uh, Provincetown, which is known to be a wild vacation town in the summertime, but this focuses on the people that live there and, uh, and addiction, basically, uh, kind of the, the deep, dark secrets that go on from the working class people that live there. Yeah, I haven't seen the first season, but it sounds amazing. Yeah, really, really good. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners have never heard the term intimacy coordinator before. It is a new role on the call sheet. And I really just want you to just dig in, tell us what it is, tell us why you turned to it You know, after this amazing career as a casting director. I'm sure you're, you still are casting, but what made you want to turn to this and just educate us on what it is and what you do? Well, let me start off by telling you what the job is. So uh, it is a newish job. And I'll tell you how it came to be. There's a TV series called The Deuce on HBO. And they were going into their second season. And it focuses on uh, sex workers. And Maggie Gyllenhaal stars in this show. And the series regulars were going back to work. And one of them, uh, an actress named Emily Mead, was feeling very vulnerable in these scenes because they would have to do these scenes with guest stars that were coming in, not series regulars, uh, day players that were coming in. And as you said, these are very highly vulnerable scenes. And she felt like she was kind of working without a net, so to speak. And she and some of the other actors went to HBO to describe what it is that they needed. And they kind of somewhat invented the job because this job had existed in theater for a bit. And in film and television, what we're doing is collaborating with the filmmakers to help get their story on the screen in an authentic way. And then working with the actors as well as their liaison and as their advocate for these scenes to make sure that they stay safe and to talk about things like consent and boundaries ahead of time so that there's no surprises on the day and everybody feels safe, and uh, we get what we need, but it's in 
a very safe way. Consent is really the cornerstone of this job. In the old days, actors would have a um, a nude scene or a simulated sex scene. And we, we do say simulated sex because we really want to clarify that they are not having sex. Some people, if it's, if it's shot well, it looks like they are. We want to make sure that people know that this is not real. And so uh, in the old days, actors would be wrapped in a sheet. They would show up and like, hi, how you doing? And the director would say, okay, go for it. And they don't know whether there was no plan, there was no choreography. And we're it, it, very similar in a way to a stunt coordinator. And if you think about a stunt being done, when actors show up and they're put in that, could be a dangerous situation. And someone says, okay, go for it. I mean, stunts are rehearsed. There are safety meetings. It is choreographed. It is a very serious uh, venture. So the same thing is applied to uh, simulated sex scenes and nudity. So as I said, we collaborate with the film crew and act as the actor's advocate on set and in preparation for the scenes. So that's kind of the short answer and we can get into more of it. And how I came to be doing this is I've been casting for 40 something years and producing and coaching actors, which I still do. And I've been looking for my next act. And I've, I've kind of become a unicorn in a way that I, I'm, I'm kind of the master of reinvention. I also design jewelry. So I do a lot of things. That's that right. Oh, and we should shout out, you design beautiful jewelry. So we'll definitely post it in our show notes. So as I said, I was looking for my third act. And it's been a while that I've been trying to figure out what else can I do. And I read some articles about this new position. And I thought, this is so up my alley. This just is kind of the amalgam of all the things that I have been trained to do so far. Because I love working with actors. I love working with filmmakers. And I'm kind of one of those righteous people that wants to protect people that don't have a voice. That's always been my thing. I am always the people's advocate. And when I heard about this job, I just thought, this is so interesting. And this job is really multifaceted, which we'll get into because we cover so many things uh, on set. And so I did some research and found a woman in Los Angeles named Amanda Blumenthal, who is kind of the, I would say, the premier IC. We call them ICs. She's the premier IC in the United States and lives in Los Angeles. And she was starting some training. And so I was accepted into a very small group of about seven people. And uh, we trained for six months in 2019. And I was certified by her organization called Intimacy Professionals Association. And I started working at the end of last year, of uh, sorry, 2019, and then got a bunch of jobs the beginning of January of 2020. And then as we know, COVID hit and everything was shut down. So I had gotten the series, The Morning Show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Weatherspoon and a bunch of movies. And so all those went away. And then a miracle happened. And I got a call uh, about this series. And I relocated to Wilmington, North Carolina. And I've been here since October. time for a clip. In this one from Sling TV, you'll be listening to Katrina Belf and Sam Hugan. They're talking about the filming of sex scenes in the very sexy and very popular Outlander. Here we go. You know, we've always tried to approach them with something more and show that something to do with, you know, to show the development of their relationship or um, and, and obviously it is a part of the show that we have to deal with. I think we've, we've always 
tried to make it further the story along, that it's not just there for, you know, titillation or just sticking in a sex scene for sex scene's sake. When we started this show, the way the sex scenes were sold to us, Ron was very adamant that he didn't want to do typical TV sex and that he wanted the, each time there was a sex scene, it had to say something about the couple or the story. And we've tried to make sure that that has maintained throughout the seasons. And, you know, yes, this couple is very passionate. It's very, it's an integral part of their relationship. But unless it has also something else to say, you know, it, it doesn't really work, I think. Mm. And we're a couple now in our latter years, <laughs> in probably the, the prime, actually. Um, but I think that's also beautiful to show that this far into a marriage that a couple can still be as passionate and as romantic and as much in love with each other as they were from the beginning. I mean, it yeah. changes and it, it evolves, but it's still... It doesn't mean it's less intimate or anything, yeah. but it's uh, you know, just evolved. And I think you know, other TV shows, they don't show that. Mm-hmm. So, Brian and Dean, have you ever heard any of these horror stories about things that have happened to actors and actresses in these sex scenes? I mean, uh, and I'll tell a story of my own when I was an actor, what happened. But um, do, you, do you recall any of these famous scenes where, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, acting is simulated. Hey, you're an actor. You should be able to do all this. But it, you, people have been put through so much fucking garbage on set. Bye-bye. Well, the one that comes to mind most readily is Last Tango in Paris. That's That seems to me to be the most infamous. And I think the one that damaged Marlon Brando's reputation to some degree, but not to the degree that he didn't get work again. You know what I mean? Like he continued to work. And, well, quite honestly, you know what I mean? But, at the time, um, I'm sorry to interrupt, Brian, but at the time, it didn't damage his reputation because no one knew about it until pretty recently. So what, so, yeah. So Maria Schneider was in this love scene, or whatever it is, a sexual scene, explicit scene with Marlon Brando. And basically Bertolucci was like, we want to shake this actress up. We want to get her real reaction. And they didn't bother fucking telling her what was going to happen in the scene. And so he has to simulate anally raping her. And she's going along with it because, you know, that's what you had to do. If you're with a big, powerful director and a big, powerful actor, you go along with it, right? This is pre-Me Too. And that sets the tone for the industry. I mean, don't you think? One of my favorite documentaries is uh, Hearts of Darkness about the making of Apocalypse Now. And the scene that I always go back to in that is Martin Sheen on his birthday getting more and more progressively drunk as the day's going on in the hotel room, right? And he smashes the mirror and cuts himself and is bleeding. That's not what acting is. And yet Coppola lets it go. And I mean, to some degree, Sheen says he needed that, he needed to exercise those demons, but there's too many of those kinds of stories. And I think that's kind of foundational to the whole Me Too movement and what people who aren't in the industry don't understand. If you say no, if you decide, well, I'm going to take a stand and I'm going to say no, a lot of times you're done. That's it. You get a reputation as being difficult. And then it's like this thing that that you want to make your career and your job, it evaporates because like we've said, a handful of powerful people hold the strings. Well, you hit on something very important and that's the word no, because no is a very powerful word. And I think we have been trained, especially women, that we can't say no. And so part of my job as an IC is 
to disrupt the power dynamic on set because an actor has a very hard time saying no to someone that has hiring and firing power. You almost can't. And when you brought up this scene of uh, Martin Sheen, he had a heart attack after that scene uh, and they had to shut down production. And it's all in the, in the name of cinema creativity and it, it's revered and respected. And, you know, I call bullshit on that. In my job right now, it, which really follows on the heels of the Me Too mo movement, which really helped accelerate this job for sure. It was 2017 that this all happened. We are giving actors their voice back again. And I really believe that we will not go back to the way it was. I don't think that we'll ever go back to that. And so I said, a lot of my work is really built around the idea of consent. And part of my process is the filmmakers tell me their thoughts for what they'd like the scene to be. And then I take those notes to the actor and have a private one-on-one -on -one discussion with them to see how they feel about it, see if they have any ideas. And they are in an environment talking to me where they can say no. And unless I get enthusiastic consent, this is what my uh, trainer, Amanda Blumenthal, taught me, is that you don't just get consent, you have to get enthusiastic consent. Because if anybody's wobbling on it, I'm going to take that as a no. And you don't have to qualify why you're saying no. You don't have to give any reasons. And I will take that back to the filmmakers and see if there's any notes that they have. And we come to a mutual agreement on how the scene's going to go. Now, one of the things that exists in the SAG after contract that many actors do not know, appropriate to scenes like this, is that if they've agreed to do this, they've signed a writer because they have to, there's an addendum to the contract that explains what they've agreed to do in terms of nudity and what they've agreed to do in terms of simulated sex. You're shooting the scene and then all of a sudden you feel things going sideways or you could get triggered by something that you don't even know triggers you. Like let's say there's nibbling on your ear and all of a sudden it triggers some horrible memories. And I'm now trained also in trauma response because I'm sitting by the monitor watching them. And if I see an actor starting to have a meltdown, I have to stop things and go help them. So you're in the middle of a scene and you suddenly go, I, I can't go on with this. The actor has the right to say, I can't go on with this scene. And then we will then try to compromise on something and make it work for both parties. Or we will then have to replace you with a body double. And the body double can only do what you have put on your nudity rider. So we can't have the double come in and suddenly do like these wild things that you, you would never agree to representing your body. So most actors don't know that you can say no, even after you've agreed to do it. Right. And you know, the agent is going to read the script and they're going to flag all of this. And when Marcy says nudity writer, literally I've negotiated, are you going to show the side of the breast, the nipple, how much of the areola, like everything? Are you going to show the bush? Are you going to show the, you know, what are you going to show? It's just there in black and white. And that's to, to not be crude, but to protect people. So they know what to expect and the producers know what they're going to get. It's very specific. And so what has been happening is actors will get there on the day, having discussed what the scene will be, or loosely discussed, whatever. And the producer or the director will come on say, set and say, no, I need to see you totally naked and fucking him. And you're like, well, huh? What? I was not prepared for that. Well, you did it in your last movie. And so that's the notion of consent. The consent exists on the day in the moment. So you could have consented 
something yesterday. And then today, I mean, I ask every day, are you good with the scene? Because consent is in the moment and it has nothing to do with what you did in a film two years ago with a different story and a different director and, you know, a whole different script. And we shouldn't make assumptions that, that the men don't have any vulnerability too. You know, I'm sure maybe people's like, oh, they're they're going to be in it. They're going to be into it. They don't care. They're they're just you know, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, men are taken advantage of just as much as women, and they're expected to go along. And you know, we're also talking now that um, storylines are so inclusive. We're talking about the LGBTQ community, which my training takes a very deep dive in. Um, we're seeing shows with uh, trans actors. And there has to be some respect and, and sensitivity to who these people are, including their pronouns. We are here to help the crew sometimes understand what to refer to people as. I've worked with a costume designer that would not use the proper pronouns when dealing with an actor. And it's it just doesn't show any respect and it makes them uncomfortable. It does, in fact, make a hostile workplace. And they could sue you for harassment. It's so funny, Marcy, because I've been in the audition room, um, you know, reading if, reading an actor who's going to be doing a sexual violence towards my character. Uh, the actor will really be getting into it and he'll be like spitting on me and calling me a whore and everything and getting like closer and closer and closer to me. And like the director isn't saying anything. I'm just the reader. I mean, I'm the casting director, but I'm the reader and they're getting, and maybe they, they touch me and it's like, come on, where is the boundary? And I remember one time my assistant was being the reader and I was kind of sitting in the back row kind of watching and this actor picked her up and put her against the wall. And I just stopped. I said, no, 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 no. This is not, this is not how this is happening. I'm sorry. And that's a big risk to object to what's going on in a producer session, but please. And that sets the tone. It has a trickle down effect on everybody else in the production. Sure. I've, I mean, as a casting director, I've been involved in a lot of those scenes where I had an actor literally like pull me out of the chair on the ground, straddling me and choking me. Or pull out a gun and pull or pull a knife. You know, these are the old days uh, before 9-11 when you certainly couldn't get on a, a studio lot, you know, with a gun because they have metal detectors now. But now we talk about it beforehand. I make sure to set the boundaries. Like, you know, don't touch me. And let's just act this out as if. And also the intimacy coordinators now have a committee that work with SAG-AFTRA and we help them draft some of the new clauses of the 2020 contract that include protocol for auditioning, for uh, auditioning naked, which was very unclear and very blurry before. And you can't audition naked. You have to have the minimum of what's considered uh, like what you would wear on the beach for a woman, you know, would be a, you could wear pasties and uh, a, a bikini bottom and the men have to be wearing the equivalent of a, a speedo. But this all has to be done in uh, with a written re request signed ahead of the audition so that nobody asks you in a room to take your top off. You know about it ahead of time and you're going to have some, some protection and it can happen once. They can't keep giving you callbacks. So there's a lot of now new information in terms of protecting actors in the audition situation. I never pick these scenes anymore. Like I, I never have, quite honestly. I don't, this is a very weird, awkward scene to pick for an audition and you don't really need to see it.
Okay, well in this clip we've got two genuine megastars being Idris Elba and Kate Winslet and they're on the couch in the hilariously funny Graham Norton show talking about a sex scene between the two of them. Here we go. Idris Elba, you would think, of, you know, we think of Idris Elba as a leading man, you know, ladies' man, but you haven't actually done that many love scenes. No. How, uh, how, why is that? How is that? Um... Uh... <laughs> no, I just haven't had the opportunity, you know, I've, I've done a lot of films where you know, there's a lot of guys. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's no... <laughs> no, that's not true. Yeah, I just haven't... That's had no enough. excuse. No, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're right. What are you trying to say? No, no, no. I just haven't been. How can I say? I just haven't been in that, a That'd be a real good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm not. <laughs> but the director had never directed a love scene. Is this right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, so awkward. Kate Winslet, step forward. I'm afraid forward. I had to get quite bossy because... <laughs> so, I've done a few of these kinds of scenes before and so we get there and poor Hanny, our director, he's such a lovely man and he was really quite nervous and he had an extensive shot list and I'm thinking, oh, my God, we are absolutely never going to get all this done. What kind of scene is this anyway? There's, like, 25 shots. And, uh, and Idris was... You were a little bit nervous, weren't you? Not really, no. OK. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just... That was my game, you know, to just get in there. Literally. Anyway, so everything was moving quite slowly and I'm like, right, look, we need to really start filming this. What, what's with all this kind of chat? And Hanny said, oh, actually, you know, I'm really kind of nervous. I've never done a... I've actually never... I really haven't shot anything like this before at all. And Nidra said, no, and I haven't done much of it either. And I went... OK, let's <laughs> okay. put the camera over there and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And, and then Idris said, keep your socks on. And I'm like, keep my socks on? <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is off. What's with the, the socks? He said, no, I've got, a, I've got a, a, a foot thing. I've got a thing, you know, just, <laughs> yeah. just, just a thing. <laughs> Hey, folks, if you're enjoying this podcast, feel free to give us a review. Big thumbs up in your listening app of choice. Plus, if you know someone else who'd like the show, send them a link because sharing is caring, right? Now, back to the show. Brian, I wanted to sort of check in with you because Marcy's working in the professional world with SAG after rules and all that stuff. But like when you and I were in college and you do a scene from... Pick a Sam Shepard play, will ya? Or like Doll's House, you know, where you're in a marriage situation where it's Nora and Torvald. I was doing a college production of Extremities, which I don't know if you remember mm. that play, yeah. Farrah Fawcett got a... And it's, it's, it's a near rape scene, you know? And you have college kids rehearsing together alone and no fight choreography, forget about that. And even though we know we're acting, your body doesn't know you're acting, by the way when you're touched in a certain place. And this guy, you know, he was a very nice guy, but he got very into it, throwing me on the floor, grinding his his junk against me. And at one point he's like, oh, maybe, you know, wouldn't it be fun if I took this carrot and I like tortured you with it? And I'm like, check please. You know, like, no, there's nobody to protect you in that situation. And it's just like, what have we come a long way since then guys? I mean, is this, I just want to protect everybody out there, no matter if you're, you know, a quote unquote professional actor or not, that we have to have boundaries. You can't just assume that you can just jump on somebody, no matter what your gender, what your orientation. I mean, Brian, did you have an experience like that? Um, yeah. Well, I. So let's unpack it just a little bit. So conversations that I've had with people 
you know, about the profession, there is an industry standard, you know, once you get to a certain age, I think, or once you decide, okay, I'm a, I'm a professional actor, right? You behave in a certain way. In talking to Lisa, I've contended that I don't care how big the theater community is, whether it's Chicago or Dallas or LA or New York, whatever, it's not that much different than a high school theater department with all the kind of incestuous relationships and clicky and let's go to the bar. And at least that was the culture that I was a part of when I was in theater. And so you would get involved in these plays with people. And let's say there was like a romantic connection that, that people allowed themselves to kind of fall into. So I guess my, I do have a question for you, Marcy, on on that front of like separating. So when I was in college, when I was first starting to act doing Doll's House, I had an older actress, older, she was three years older than me, but I was 18 at the time playing Torvald, I mean, which is what college is for, but she was having a tough time finding the relationship. So she involved me in her process. And as an 18 year old kid, I was like, I'm all for it. Let's, I was, I jumped right on in. It was like heaven. And then closing night, we were all tripping on acid. And that's when she dropped the hammer and said, yeah, I just kind of did that for the play. Sorry. You know what I mean? Wait, when and it's you say like, involving in your process, you mean she started fucking you for real? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, there like, we go. All right. Yeah, we And that, I had no idea, like, the damage that that would do. I mean, like, I almost decided, like, I don't want to do that. If this is what it's going to be, then I don't want to fucking do it. And so I, this is the question that I have in your role. Do you caution actors to, like, this is a fantasy. This is pretend that we're doing, right? You have a job to do. Your body's going to be telling you something different potentially in this moment. Is that part of the the job of the coordinator as well to like keep things separated? Because we've heard plenty of stories where actors get involved in a in a project together and then they divorce wives and husbands and get married. You know what I mean? And then it's like, oh, that wasn't real. There are a couple of things that I would talk about. So we get hired to help minors with the first kiss because that can also be like, imagine having your first kiss ever on screen or or your first screen kiss and your- Your parents are there. Your parents are watching. And you're 16 years old. I mean, there were stories about the actress Millie Bobby Brown on Stranger Things. She had her first ever kiss on screen and the Duffer brothers- sweet as they are, were teasing her about it. And they didn't realize how traumatic it was for her. And she's done so many art um, interviews talking about how embarrassing that was. So they hire us to help out young actors and scenes like that. So one of the first things I, I worked on was an indie film where two 16-year-old kids, uh, the girl was seducing the boy. And she threw him on a chair and straddled him and was kind of grinding on him and trying to take his pants off and kissing him. and. You know, neither of them had ever done that. And I talked to the the boy about you might have a physical reaction to something where your your mind is telling you one thing, but your body is doing another thing. And that's totally fine if that happens, because that's very natural. And if, if something like that happens, we'll stop and wait until things calm down. And don't be embarrassed about that. It's totally natural. But I think it's really important to what you were saying, Brian, is to stop this notion of romanticizing it and doing it for art. We have to really get into it and really do it, which is bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. I mean, you were taken advantage of. I mean, at least you were 18 and an adult-ish, but 
We've certainly seen this happen. And if the role was reversed and it was a guy doing this to a young girl, that, that's criminal activity. And, you know, women kind of get the pass on that in a weird way. But yeah, I do absolutely try to guide people through these situations. Like, let's say we're doing a very violent scene. I talk to the actors to make sure that they're going to be, maybe they've had experiences like this and, and they're worried about it about doing something like this as it may trigger them. And so we talk about it very deeply. And I also want to make sure we talk about keeping this in a container, so to speak, so that once we finish the scene, we close that container. And I don't want to send them home without knowing that they're okay psychologically with this. And so we talk about an after plan. We talk about what they're going to do when they leave the set. Do they have some support? Do they need to talk to somebody about it? Like, have they really closed the container so that they're not walking around like an open wound from just stirred up all of this stuff? Oh my gosh, that's so important. And you just made me think of how many things could get triggered. I mean, as you said, with this with this um, underage couple that you were coaching, their sexual orientation and identity may not be formed yet. And it may be very confusing to them to be in a scene like that. You know, you can't make assumptions on somebody else. And I just, you know, thank goodness that you're there for that. I don't know if you've had to encounter that or if you, you know, these are not just heteronormative scenes that Marcy's going to be working on. Certainly. So I'm not a psychologist. However, there are several um, intimacy coordinators that do have that background, and it really definitely helps the job. I'm not going to pretend that I have that training, but I, as a psychologist, as a licensed psychologist, but that is part of our training to make sure that everyone stays healthy and safe in terms of what could happen psychologically from a scene like this. For instance, the woman that trained me, Amanda Blumenthal, did the series Euphoria. And I don't know if you've seen Euphoria, but it's very raw. And it's all teenagers. And it is very intense. And they were kind of breaking new ground for, for things like that. And uh, there's a trans girl. And uh, it's, it's a lot. I mean, the subject matter was, was very dark and very intense. And she kept everyone yeah. safe. You know, the whole reason that we even that I even thought about doing this episode with you is because Dean uh, last week was teasing me about Bridgerton and saying that that was my mommy porn. He was making a joke. Um, and I, you know, and I, but I was thinking about it that when I was watching those scenes, I was thinking they had to have had an, an IC. Absolutely. I mean, they are explicit scenes. I mean, not just body parts, but the pleasure is, is, and that's a very, that's even more intimate seeing somebody's face mm -hmm. and the pleasure they're experiencing. What's for both the actor and the actress. Well, one of the things I didn't mention that we also are trained to do is the choreography of these scenes. And it's different every set. Some directors know exactly what they want and they'll have it storyboarded. And some directors treat it like hot potato. Like, I, I, I don't want to have anything to do with this. You do it. And I was really fortunate on the first couple of projects I worked with that the directors were like, you do it. So I got to choreograph and block these, these scenes. Uh, with Bridgerton, absolutely, they had an IC, a very good IC named Lizzie Talbot. And there are so many articles uh, interviews of the actors from Bridgerton talking about her and how much fun she made these scenes and how they couldn't have done it without her and how appreciative they were uh, for that she was there because it, it you know it can be very awkward with a camera this close to your face and you're meant to have an orgasm by yourself <laughs> right uh, and 
you know, it's, it's, it's very, very rough and hypersexual and she'll guide them through that to make them feel comfortable and then able to walk away feeling like they did a good day's work and it's done. God bless you. I'm so glad that you're doing this. You seem like this is your, this is a perfect match for you because as you say, not only do you know how to talk to actors, you know how to talk to directors, you, you know how to talk to writers and it takes a whole team to have this kind of sensitivity and understanding. I think that's amazing. Yeah, you really have to know, you have to have set experience to do this. You cannot learn on the job. There's a whole different world uh, language and set etiquette. And it's really not something that we can teach you. You have to, like, I've produced several shows. I've been a casting director for several years. So I know how to deal with all these personalities because I'm dealing with the producer, the director, the network, the legal department, the actors, the ADs. It's a lot. You just mentioned directors, and uh, Marcy, I wondered how receptive, obviously, you can't talk specifics, but just in general, we've been discussing the dynamics between the actors themselves, but we can we all know the you know myriad of stories, and you would know many more than me about directors, and we can name them, but you think of somebody like uh, Bogdanovich, who was, you know, serially fell in love with these actresses. Luc Besson, the same, infamously, left one wife literally on the set for another that he fell in love with. What's the feeling with directors? Are they are they fully on board with this or do they need to be sort of coached as well? Since it is a new position, yes, there there's definitely a learning curve with directors because some are grateful to have us there and there is an education process that we need to do to help people understand what the job is because some directors feel like we're we're kind of stepping into their territory. I you got to read the room. And so I will lay back more in a situation like that where they feel like, you know, I can do this, I don't need you. However, if there's abuse going on, you know, I don't like to be the sex police. And a lot of people see this job as the sex police or that we are, uh, we're HR. And that's, that's really not what it should be. Uh, but uh, if, if there's abuse going on, then certainly that's something that has to stop. But I, I'm not seeing that as much. The Me Too movement trickled down and rose up and it gave people their voices. And I just don't feel like it's going to go back, backwards, back in time. I feel like we've now uh, found our voices and we're not going to be taken advantage of anymore. And we have backup. You know, there, there are now things in place so that that can't happen anymore. Yeah, hopefully the old serial misogynist director, hopefully they're a dying breed, they're dying out. But even just as recently as Blue is the Warmest Color, which is a movie I adored that movie. For me, it was just a very important movie to watch personally. And later to hear the actresses in this highly lauded movie come out and say, yeah, we really felt pushed and abused by our director. And these are fam- I mean, Leah Sado is like not a nobody in her, you know, in her world. I mean, she probably had the power to say, I'm not doing this, but it's what just shows you that when you're on the set and you're exhausted and you're pushed that you can still be taken advantage. And you can't say no to the people that have hiring and firing power. That's the problem. And so I'm there to, to uh, make sure that that doesn't happen. I'm just reading something. This really shocked me. Uh, this is a story about Paul Haggis during Crash. 
Tandy Newton has recently said that this is this is the sneaky thing, Marcy, in these scripts. It's a very like an oblique scene. Maybe it doesn't specifically say that there's something sexual going on. It's just like implied. And so that kind of gives the director creative license to just have something happen. And how Tandy says that Matt Dillon was instructed to stick his hand up her skirt and simulate assaulting her. But she didn't know that that was going to happen. Again, it's wanting to see the real reaction of the real woman being really humiliated. We have to call it out. We are. Yeah, clearly. Okay, bear with me, folks. I do need 60 seconds of your valuable time just to set this clip up so that you fully understand what's happening absent the visuals. All right, this clip comes from a mini documentary of a movie titled Keep Breathing, and we'll put a link in our show notes to this and all of the other clips that we reference in this episode. The first voice you hear on this clip is from one of the actors of the film, a guy called Damien Maloney, and then you'll hear from the IC in this film, Ita O'Brien. You'll hear snatches of conversations also from other actresses talking about sex scenes, uh, Reese Witherspoon and Amy Schumer. And just for context, the movie that Ita references about a minute and a half into this little snippet is the notorious scene that was filmed for Last Tango in Paris, where Bertolucci and Brando pretty much conspired to surprise, in air quotes, the actress Maria Schneider about Marlon's use of a bar of soap that he used, unbeknownst to her, as a prop for lubricant for a simulated anal scene. The comments from Ita echo very accurately what Marcy covers in much more detail in this podcast ep. So with that as a setup, here we go. The first few intimate scenes you do as an actor, you're so terrified because you've no idea what you're doing really or you know how, <laughs> how you'll be judged. You know, you're thinking the whole world's gonna look at it and think, oh my God, that's how he does it. The sex scenes were the hardest thing for me to do, honestly. It's always awkward. You got like 20 crew members standing around who you had also met that week. And he's like, do you want our first kiss to be on camera? And I went, yeah. <laughs> what? So for you doing the kiss, I feel like that's it. And then relax and you receive it, great. An intimacy coordinator is somebody who brings a clear structure and a process when choreographing intimate scenes, both in theatre, TV and film. So historically, actors have been vulnerable in intimate content because whereas with a fight, the, the injury that you're taking care of can be physical. With intimate content, the injury can be physical, but it also can be emotional and psychological. You've got your personal and private intimate body at play. And of course, if you're touched in those personal and private places in a way that is not right for you, that might be uh, abusive to you or might be triggering, all of that needs to be taken care of. You had a young actress approached by two men, the director and the co-star, springing a scene on that person that they weren't expecting and also talking about preparing a lubricant for the scene and that actress talking about feeling that she felt a little raped. That incident really having severe repercussions, that actress never acted again. So I've been aware of practice in the industry to date, which invariably the intimate contact wasn't spoken about clearly, Actors were left to sort of just work it out themselves or just go for it, just improvise. And both of those situations leads the actor in a situation where it stops being professional and there's that awkwardness of just trying to work it out. And then that's where you have the personal body sort of being in play rather than making sure that you're serving character and the physicality that you do is really serving the storytelling. The scene in The Night Manager, Elizabeth Debicki spoke afterwards about how she felt the best case scenario 
was that you got on well with your other actor and that they did the scene in one take and they met up at the tea caddy as if it had never happened. Already that thing of going into shame, we don't want that. We want our actors to be able to feel comfortable and open and the feeling that they've done a good day of work in real presence with the work that they were doing. Hi there, listeners. You know, we love putting the pod together, and we certainly hope that you enjoy hearing from us, but we would love to hear from you. How do we do this, you say? Well, if you visit our website, killercastingpod.com, you'll see a widget there for a little service called SpeakPipe, and you can record a message and send it to us as an audio file. So whether it's a question about an episode we've already done, maybe you've got a suggestion about a topic or a film or a series that we could jump into, we would love to hear from you, and you can be on the pod. We'll hear from you soon. Bye. Is there anything else you want to tell us about your experiences so far in this very important position? And then I just want to talk about our favorite sex scenes, basically, because I'm into it. (laughs) Well, one of the things I've noticed since I started is I come home feeling really good. I come home feeling very useful and very appreciated. And it's been a long time since my work has given me that. Because as you know, as casting directors, everyone takes uh, credit. They'll take credit for what we do. How many times have you heard a director say, I found so-and-so after looking at thousands of girls. It's like, no, we didn't actually. (laughs) I looked at thousands of girls and I brought her to you and jumped up and down on the table to get you to hire her. (laughs) Uh, So I feel like I come home at the end of the day and I feel appreciated. The actors pull me aside afterward and say, thank you so much. There's so many thank yous going on and there's so much relief going on uh, with these actors that I'm there. Now, mind you, there are some actors that are like, I don't need you. Stay out of my grill. And I need to know to step back and let them do their thing. Because uh, again, they need. there's a learning curve there because they're like this show did not have an IC the last time. So there was definitely an, a learning curve with me coming on. And I need to know when to step back. The problem is sometimes an actor will not want me around, but their partner wants me. So that's that's very tricky. And do you help the crew to understand what kind of privacy that's needed and stuff? Because I, I did a playoff yeah. Broadway once where I had I was uh, I was a rape victim and I was left nude on the stage, I just had my socks on. I was so not taken care of, like getting there, getting off the stage, getting back to my dressing. I mean, everybody, like everybody just, you know what I mean? It was just all out there. Yeah. Um, So I'm glad you brought that up. So another huge part of my job is uh, enforcing the closed set rules because we guarantee these actors that it will be closed set. And what that means exactly is that we have only essential people on the set. And then nowadays we have monitors everywhere all over the set. And so we have to make sure that all those monitors are tented or flagged so that the crew can't be walking by and be watching the monitor. And also, and that's part of the, the new set contract is that this is one of the things that the ICs help them put into the contract is that the costume people have to be standing by with a robe or a cover-up so that every time we cut in between takes, they throw a robe over them. And they're very conscientious about that. So I work with the ADs 
the assistant directors to make sure that all the monitors are locked up before every scene. And so it is a little bit like the sex police where I'm running around the set, like trying to make sure you like, you can't be standing here and to make sure the costume uh, people are, are providing them with robes. And that, and this also covers, I also cover um, background actors, you know, anytime they have uh, a nude scene, a simulated sex, I work with them as well. And we make sure that they understand the writer and what that means before they sign it and make sure that it gets signed. Oh, that's amazing. Um, guys, any other questions on this topic? Then I just want to talk about sex. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm just very curious for all of you. You know, a lot of people learn about sex on TV and in movies and how to treat the other people and, and what's, what's allowed and, and what it, I mean, I just remembered, I think uh, the big easy, there's a scene in the big easy where uh, Ellen is, is, She's getting fingered or something. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't like the traditional thing that I'd always, you always see this Hollywood clutch with the man on top and the woman on top. And I was just like, it was so scandalous to me. And she's completely clothed, but like it's happening under her skirt. And I was like, damn, you know, that was, that was like really erotic for me and very empowering in a weird way. You know, like it just, it just wasn't the ABC by the no. Yeah. It wasn't conventional at all. And it was very raw. It was probably very raw for that time. We didn't see any skin. And it was still erotic. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm just wondering if you have other movies or moments that really stick with you. I mean, I'll never forget Monster's Ball. It was just oh like, God. yeah, what a traumatic. If you haven't seen it, you know, Halle Berry and Billy Bob Thornton are having mm -hmm. sex. And they're both very wounded people who have big secrets that the other doesn't know. And... Um, they're coming together. I mean, just, you know, so many, I'm just wondering if each of you have any things to share. Coming up in the eighties, you know, like when cable was, was just becoming kind of getting into households, you know, like I remember my grandparents had cable and I remember when I got to a certain age, when I got to be a teen and they would go to bed and I would be in the living room it was moving. It was moving the chair in front of the TV just in case, and keeping the volume really low, so that if they did come around, it's just like. And it wasn't like I had a remote either. I had. It was the console. You remember the console? You, like, you had like, like you had like the trigger that would, with the triple. You know, it had multiple numbers on it, or whatever. So like having a memorized of like, okay, I'm gonna move to this channel. Like I knew where to go. So as a as a kid, you know, what I mean, so it's like. I was thinking about this. So like 48 hours was one of those movies where it was like female nudity, but I don't, I haven't thought of this movie in decades, but the lonely lady, Pia Zadora. No, no, nobody knows. Nobody remembers this. I didn't see it, but yes, I, I went flash. I think I said the title card. Holy shit. So as a kid, like 12, 13 watching the, I mean, it's, it's a terrible fucking movie, first of all. I think it's based on a like a really bad romance novel or whatever they made into a movie. But she's like, she, it, I think she gets raped with a hose. I mean, she's oh. married. Like she's, you know, kind of a hostess at a strip club or so, there's something. At the end of the movie, she and she wins an Oscar for best writing. She goes, I, I guess I'm not the only one who had to fuck my way to the top. And she saunders off the stage in victory and it's just like but as a kid all i cared about was the nudity and i still remember those you know like babysitter jobs where you know it's the snow 
like you'd, you'd land on the channel that they didn't have access to, but it, so it'd be snowy, but every so often you, it would like come into focus. And so it was just like waiting in, in like anticipation of a moment where it's like, okay, I caught it. And that's my story. That's it. Okay, Dean. Only until recently did we get cable over here, but we didn't grow up with cable as you describe it. But there was a period in the 80s where the federal government uh, funded a thing called the SBS, the Special Broadcasting Service, and this was basically ethnic television. So all of a sudden on free-to-air broadcasts, we've got all these French and Italian movies and there's full frontal nudity and there was just all this stuff happening, which didn't happen in in, in Australian TV at all. So we, it was just that just blew people's minds. So that was just flashed on that. Okay, so not so much scenes, but films that I liked. And it's ironically so that you just mentioned The Big Easy because the director of The Big Easy, a guy called Jim McBride, is one of my favorite directors. He he also made Great Balls of Fire with Dennis Quaid, yes. But one of my favorite films of all time is a movie that probably no one's ever heard of. Uh, it was made in 81 by Jim. It was called Breathless and it was a remake. Oh of, of course. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant movie. Yeah. And yeah. talk about Talk about Richard killer casting. Gere, the, Richard Gere and that young girl, I can't remember her name. I don't think we ever I'll, started I'll, I'll never forget it. Don't worry. Valerie oh, Kaprisky. Oh, Val- yeah, yeah, yeah. Valerie Kaprisky. So it's this doomed romance set in LA, and it's just perfect casting. Richard Gere is just handsome as fuck. He's just absolutely at his peak, and she is just gorgeous. And the chemistry between them is unbelievable. So they have a, a few sex scenes, but... It's just whenever they're in those scenes, it's just so hot. It's brilliant. That for me was a great film. Also, a film that I think even today is just still holds up is Lawrence Kasdan. I think it's 1981 as well, Body Heat, which is an amazing film. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's so sultry. It's set in, you know, hot, wet, sticky Florida, and that's kind of how the movie rolls. And it's an amazing film. And looking at it uh, recently, it was Kathleen Turner's first role, and she just owns the movie, absolutely owns it. And it's an odd film because the two leads were almost unknown, so she was unknown. William Hurt had done an Altered States or was that Cronenberg, I think? But So they were the two leads, and really the biggest name in it was Richard Craner. You know, it's a beautiful, one of the best neo-noirs ever made, but uh, apparently – they turned up and there was a shooting schedule and then there was a change in the shooting schedule. Master, you would have had a heart attack. So they've got this full, fully naked, face-to-face sex scene. They go, oh, I'm sorry, we've got to do this on day one. Day one, they're into this full-on <laughs> sex scene between the two of them and they you know, they hadn't met before the film. But so credit to them and to Kasdan who wrote and directed it because as it turns out, it's just absolutely Fantastic. Yeah, there's a couple of hits for me that really I never forgotten just made me go, wow. You brought up something really interesting, Marcy. Do you have any say in how soon the sex scene will be shot? I mean, it's so it's all based on location and schedule and everything. Do you try to get together ahead, obviously ahead of time before so they can at least Well, uh new SAG rules, which also like we accomplished a lot on this contract. The new SAG rules say that we have to give the actor and the representatives, uh, a draft of the nudity writer at least at minimum 48 hours ahead of the scene that we're going to shoot it. Because it used to be that we would give it to them to, on the set to sign. And and what they would try to do is like add things to it on the day. And so this way, with the 48, 48 hour rule, they can't add anything new to it. If the producers want to add something new to it, it starts the clock mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it, so it kind of keeps it so that these are the things that are on the rider. This is what we're sticking to. We can always make it less, 
but we can't add new things to it. One thing that I get concerned about is a lot of actresses won't eat when they have a nude scene. And so if they make the nude scene at the end of the day, they're going to be feeling pretty rough and cranky and, and low blood sugar and things like that. So I will talk to the ADs about mm. that. But in terms of scheduling, yes, it does come down to location and shooting schedule and, and things like that. Some of my movies are, are shows that I, I remember. Uh, there are a lot of really great scenes in Euphoria, if you take a look at it. It was very interesting and very well done. There's a little indie movie that took place eons ago called uh, Desert Park. And it had, it had two women in a scene that I thought was very erotic. And it stuck with me for some, one reason or another. Another scene, when you talk about actors, you know, saying this has to be real and genuine, is word ha has it that on Officer and a Gentleman, there's a really a beautiful love scene, simulated sex scene with Richard Gere and Deborah Winger. And they say that they were actually doing it. Mm, never heard that. Wow. And then just stylized, like just hot stuff, which is uh, not in half weeks, of course. Adrian uh, that's Lyon. on my list. Oh, yes. Of course. I mean, Adrian Lyon really knows how to shoot that stuff. And he has a terrific eye in terms of uh, certainly c cinematography, but also like I saw him once taking, I'm forgetting what movie it was, but he was taking an actress around shopping. Like he has a great eye for costuming and music and, and all that stuff. So th I mean, those scenes were, you know, very eighties, nineties, whatever it was. Very, very introducing people to kink light because I think yeah. nowadays we'd look at the film and go, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, that's like, that's a Tuesday for me. But, um, <laughs> But uh, I want. Uh, do you remember the big controversy in Blue Valentine because Ryan Gosling was like going down on on um, Michelle? Oh God, Michelle Williams. Michelle Williams, yes, yeah. And it's like, like people were in shock that he was going down on her, and it's like, really, really, why? Why is that shocking? Why is that controversy? Yeah, it was like it was like a really big deal, and you know how many times have we seen women? Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm a big fan of Unfaithful. Um, oh Brokeback, God, yeah, those are hot. Back Mountain. That's, That's a hot. very romantic movie. I love that movie. Boys Don't Cry, Secretary, High Art, and most recently, oh, Out of Sight. Dean loves that movie, Out of Sight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great film, great film. And most recently, I don't know if you guys have watched Mrs. Fletcher. Yes, I love that. There's show. some in. Incredible, incredible scenes. And of course, another Catherine Hahn. I love Dick. Love it. Love it. Just great sex, great stories, great. Um, and uh, on the downside, I mean, Handmaid's Tale is so grotesque, but it's a very necessary story. Those are, I mean, nobody loves to see sexualized violence, but sometimes those stories really need to be told. And I think The Handmaid's Tale just blows it right up. I mean, I agree. I mean, I think it's very obvious, at least to smart people like us, we can tell what is gratuitous and what is not. And and what really makes sense to the storytelling. And like you said, in Handmaid's Tale, it's very rough to watch, but it is telling a story that needs to be told. Exactly. And boy, prescient. Oh, my God, that show. Well, certainly somebody that could give a, a masterclass on how to deal with sex scenes would be the gorgeous Amelia Clarke, who of course played Daenerys Stormborn on Game of Thrones. And here she is talking with actor and filmmaker Jay Duplass about that first season of Game of Thrones. Take it away, Amelia. 
uh, season one of Game of Thrones, everything just did it all. I got raped. I came out of the fire. I was yeah. butt naked. I fights all of it. I, I was pregnant and then lost it and then kind of gave birth to something else. And so season one was the most challenging out of everything. But the <laughs> naked stuff is always difficult. It's yeah. always hard because it's just uncomfortable for many, right. many, many reasons. So many reasons. And yeah. you have to like, it's weird as the actor, I feel like you have to be the one who comes on and says, it's okay. The guys, everything's gonna be fine. Yes. We're all, you guys can chill. It's not a big deal. No one ever told me You've that. You've all seen him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> everything's gonna be fine. It's, it is really weird though, because it's it's one of the few times where you can't, you can't just be in the moment. No. Because it's like the most choreographed stuff that you have to do and nothing really yeah. is going on. So you have to, it's basically like doing Pilates. Yes. For, for a long well, no, time without any reward to come. <laughs> yeah. Like that's yeah. what you don't realize when you're having yeah. sex. There's a reward that's coming at the end of this. When you're not, you're just like, oh, God, my core sucks. Everything sucks. Uh, right? It's yeah. a weird thing. No, it's weird. It is weird. And also there's only so much talking and holding your stomach in. You know what I mean? You're like clench and hold. Yeah, exactly. I'd be badass and like do a big speech and, you know, yeah. strategically hold a dragon over your lady parts. <laughs> Bri Bri, what'd you have? What I was going to say was, I can't imagine being a teenager in this day and age where you could just hop on the internet and have ready access to pornography, just like that. And, and I'm not saying that the way that I, that I approached sex or trying to find naked scenes in 1980s movies like Porky or Porky's 2. I or cast those like movies. The, oh, <laughs> hey, I love it. <laughs> I cast and those I mean, movies. And the same man and, directed A Christmas Story, which I also cast. So Yeah, oh my God. Hilarious. Bob Clark, rest his soul. He directed all those movies. There's a kind of innocence about like seeking out those movies because it's tricky. And I, I mean, I grew up in Texas in a pretty conservative evangelical household. So, so my idea of sex from word go is already kind of like uh, things that I've had to work through. I don't know what this is related to or, but there is something about the innocence of like those eighties movies of like going to your best friend's house, you know, for, to spend the night. Because, like I said, 48 hours is on and there's a nude scene. You know what I mean? So, no, I hear what you're saying. Um, I mean, imagine being a young boy or a girl having such readily ready access to porn, and that is your education to, to sex. And there's so much violence against women, men in porn, and they're, that's how they're learning to treat women, is really scary. Before we get emails and people start pinging me, Altered States was Ken Russell, I've just remembered, not Cronenberg. And Brian, talking about access to sex as teenagers back in the day, oldies like us, but at one point, I think we were 15 or 16, school holidays, we wanted to go into the, into the pictures, right, the cinema, and see a film. And where, you know, you look at the paper, the old printed paper, what's on? And we're looking, there was not much on. So we, we saw this movie and it stars Al Pacino. So we're like, oh, El Pacino, you know, that's he's a cool guy, you know, Serpico and all this. Oh, the, the, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. So here we go. Uh, uh, cruising. 
Cruising. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we walk into the cinema with three 15, 16-year-old boys. We sit down. We're looking around going, well, there's like just all these guys in here. and what <laughs> Because we didn't know what the film was about. We thought it was, it's like, uh, Al Pacino is searching for a killer. And we're like, oh, okay, great. So we're sitting there eating our popcorn and the opening scene is a male, you know, it's this guy screwing a guy, you know, uh, in the ass and the guy's tied up. It's a bondage scene. And we're sort of looking at each other because we're totally white bread and we're like, what the fuck is this? And then, of course, the guy whips out a knife and it's very graphic and just brutally mutilates and stabs this guy to death. And all these old guys are looking at us and we're looking, we're like, we're too scared to move. We're shocked by the content. We're shocked. It's like, ah. So we're whispering, right, if anybody makes a move, right, you know, we're going to punch them and run. So we sat through the whole movie, which is a, a, a very important movie and a great movie. But as soon as the credits were up, we were like, let's just get out of here. And we ran like hell. But um. It, that made an impact. I haven't forgotten that. I love all that. I could talk about sex forever, but we don't have forever. Marcy, you're my queen. I'm so grateful that we we met each other. I'm so glad that we've connected and I hope that to continue. And what you're doing is so important. I'm so glad to educate our audiences about it and hopefully get the word out so this becomes the norm and much healthier place. I want you to stay safe out there. You guys too. Uh, nice to meet you all. This is really Nice to meet you, Marcy. Thank you. And so for now, this is Killer Casting signing off. Bye. Bye. Killer Casting is a concept created and produced by Lisa Zambetti. Audio engineering by Dean Laffin. Logo art by April Laffin. Website and big fat opinions courtesy of me, Brian Allen Hill.